Well, good morning, church family. Happy New Year. Well, tomorrow. <laughs> Can you believe it's going to be 2024? I mean, we just blink and we're still, most of us are still suffering from 2020. <laughs> like, I lost some time here. We need to go back. But it's amazing. We have a new year in front of us. And the passage that we're, I'm going to be taking you guys through here this morning um, that I chose for is one to set your mind on the glory of the Lord. To set your mind on this new year to be living for God's glory. Uh, we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to be uh, turn to Isaiah 43. Uh, if you don't have Bible, we have some in the pew in front of you, and then we're going to have it on the screen. But before we jump into our text, um, the purpose for me put bringing us here to this passage in the Old Testament was for us to see and to answer some questions that I think this, this text brings forward. The first question that I want us to kind of unpack a little bit in this text, and one I want you to carry with you every single week, every single day, is very simple. What is God's goal or his purpose in creating us as his people? This text is going to be dealing with some of that. But all of Scripture is unpacking that, that, that question, giving us the deeper answer of what is God's goal in creating us as his people? The second question, if you're taking notes, and you, we're going to see a little bit here today, and every week I'm going to be, over the new year we're going to be unpacking it, is how as God's people then, when we understand this goal, do we find joy and peace in living out that purpose? How do we live and find joy and peace as being God's people? Because many of us go through day in and day out, and we, we say, I'm, 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 I believe in Jesus, but why did God save us? Why are, how do we find joy in that answer? Why did he save you? Why did he make you his people? What is his heart in that? We're going to be looking at that a little bit in this passage here in Isaiah. So in Isaiah 43, just a little context for you. This is not written to the church. This is a letter written to, from the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And Israel at this time is, is surrounded by an army. An army that's going to conquer them and God's going to allow to conquer them because he's going to discipline the people of God. Because they've stopped following him. Now, that's not our main thing. I'm not bringing us here like, all right, here, here we go, church. God's got some discipline. Because this is not a text bringing down the hammer. This is about bringing joy to his people in the face of even in his discipline. He wants to set their hearts and their minds on these, these two questions. Why? Why do you exist as my people? And how do you find joy in that existence? How do you find peace in that existence? Because if we're going to go into this new year, I believe what God wants to do for us here at CCC is, is to unpack that and let our lives radically be changed. Let you be radically changed, no matter your circumstance, no matter what you're going through, whether it's illness, whether it's struggles in marriage, whether, whether it's, it's God's blessing, and it seems like he's blessing everything you touch. Why are you his people? And how do you find joy in that? So let me read our text this morning to us, and then we're going to pray. Isaiah records this from God. 
But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabaoth in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us from your word this morning. Help us to know why you have chosen to make us your people. Help us to understand your heart and your mind. Help us to know you. Speak to us this morning. Encourage us this morning. Challenge us this morning. Call us to you. May we find joy in you. May we find peace in you. May we know our God and be transformed by knowing you. Lord, set this place on fire for me. So that your glory is all that is seen. Refine us, Father. Purify us, Father, so that when the world sees CCC, they see you. Speak through me, Lord, an imperfect vessel to preach your perfect word. Lord, may the the meditations that you've put on my heart this week be acceptable unto you. Speak through me, Lord. I ask and I pray this, and we all ask and we pray this. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let it be so. So the main point of this passage here in Isaiah is he's looking today, and I think he wants to speak to us today, is to encourage you as God's people. He wants to encourage you, and he does it by encouraging them in the area of fear. Do not be afraid. Don't have fear. Find encouragement in who I am. Now, fear, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When we, talked, when we were looking at the birth and the coming of our Savior. Over and over, the angels say, fear not. And then they bring the gospel message. Don't be afraid. Fear is a real thing. that Day in and day out, whether you're even aware of it or not, you are battling all the time. We make decisions because of fear. We make decisions because of of consequences or, or things where we don't want to happen. Fear about our health. Fear about our family. 
Will my kids and my grandkids live a godly life? Fear of being wrong. Fear of failure. Fear of being caught in doing something you know you probably shouldn't be doing. Fear of being alone. Fear of missing out on something that might be enjoyable. Fear about what's going to happen in your marriage. Fear about being single. Fear about your finances. Fear about your body. Fear about our government and where our nation is heading. Fear of that just moves in us. What is my life's purpose? I've been living every day. Why am I getting up every day and doing this job? Going here. Living this out. There can be fear. We may even find ourselves at times being afraid, and we should be. Fear of God and His judgment when it comes to our sin. There's a lot that pushes on our hearts and minds when it comes to fear. It drives you, and you make decisions based upon these things echoing in the back of your mind. You're not even consciously aware of so much that is just pushing on you when it comes to fear. And our Lord wants to conquer that fear today. So in Isaiah 43, God is going to speak to the nation of Israel. They have not been His people. They've not been faithful to Him, even though they are His people. And now they're dealing with the consequences of their sin. I had a Bible professor tell me one time, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And they're dealing with the consequences of the sins they chose. But even in those consequences, God comes to encourage them. He wants to encourage them. Yeah, you, 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 there's a lot to be afraid of. The, the, the Syrian army wants to destroy you. You're go, you've got a lot coming at you. But I want to encourage you. Twice in this text this morning, he tells them not to be afraid. Once in verse 1, and the second time is in verse 5. Let me show you the first one. In this, this call not to be, af- to be afraid, God, there's an argument why God's people should not be afraid. He says, fear not. That's the call. That's a command. Don't let fear drive you. Don't let fear rule in you. Don't let fear have its way in you. And then here is what he says. Why should you not be afraid? For I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He says to Israel, I've redeemed you. When did he redeem them? All the way back from Egypt. All the way back with Moses. He says, set your minds back on what I have done for you. You would not even exist as a nation. You were slaves. Slaves, 12 tribes of people from one family that has now grown and grown. But you would not exist if I didn't redeem you. I have set you free from slavery. I have been a God who has rescued you. I have been a God who has provided for you. I am a God who led you in the wilderness. By a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I protected you. I fed you. I am a God who redeemed and took care of you. Set your mind on me. Set your mind on who 
I am and the character I am as your God. Think about who I am. Let that change your heart. I am your God. Now, this is not written to us as the church. This is written to Israel. Israel have been walk, have, has seen God move with them and build them. And they have this rich history that we call the Old Testament. To them, that was just the testament, the covenant, the, the, the story of God's redeeming work, making them into a people, building them, cr- working with them and guiding them, speaking to them even in their rebellion. This is not to you directly. The primary audience in Isaiah 43 is the nation of Israel, but the secondary audience is us. We were not slaves in Egypt. Unless somebody's got a, a, a story I need to hear about. You know, if, if, I, I, if you've got that, I agree, but this is not written directly to us. But it's describing the character of our God as a redeeming God. And that's when we, in the New Testament, stop and go, wait a minute. Our God hasn't stopped being a redeeming God. What he did in the Old Testament, he's continuing to do in the New Testament. A God who saves, a God who rescues, a God who comes for his people. That's what Christ is, the fulfillment of the redeeming work of God. So we stand in the church and we look back and go, while we weren't the knuckleheads who were rebelling as a nation, we are the knucklehead sinners over here in the 21st century who need the same redeeming God Isaiah was talking to them about. We need to set our minds on the redeeming work of our Lord. We have been purchased, taken out of, paid a heavy price for. So when you start thinking about what fear does to you, Isaiah is telling them, and we should hear that lesson, Look back at what your God has done. Set your mind on what God has done. We as a church have been set free. Not from slavery of Egypt, but slavery from sin. All throughout the the New Testament, it speaks to this. Romans 6, 17, he gives praise. He says, Paul says, but thanks be to God. Give praise, set your mind on this. That you were once what? Slaves of sin. You and I were once slaves, past tense. Hear that, church. It's not present tense. If you are born again of Jesus Christ, if you, then He has done a work for you. A work then that takes care of you now. That's what He's telling them then. The God of, of Israel... I did a redeeming work. I conquered your enemies. I opened seas. I slayed giants. I destroyed nations. I did all of this. Set your mind on what I have done for you. Because you have not stopped being my people. Church family, when you are facing all that wants to drive your life, if we're going to answer that question about what, why has God created us as a people and how do we have joy in that, the robber of your joy is fear. 
And Christ wants to steal it back and give you back your joy this morning. Give you back your peace this morning. You are redeemed. He goes on in verse 4. He just, just look at what this verse screams at our hearts. He says, why, why not be afraid? Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. Think about that. How wretched Israel has been that they're worship, they've been worshiping other gods. They've stopped following God. They've stopped obeying the commands of God. They have really, I'm, we're talking some crazy knuckleheads. Like the sign says knuckleheads and there it points right at them. They are living in complete rebellion. And God is still saying to them, you're precious to me. I want to honor you. That means lift you up and, 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 and bathe you in joy and glory. I love you. You might need to hear that this morning. That might be the greatest message you hear today is God loves you. You might just need to take a second, close your eyes and just, just say, Lord, you love me. You love me. I am loved by the creator of the universe. I am loved by the savior of the world. I am loved by the redeemer of sin. I am loved. I am precious to God. That's good news, is it not? That's the stuff that we need to like wake up and go, wait a minute. That takes your darkness and starts turning on the light. That takes your depression and starts ripping it back. That takes your addiction and go, wait a minute, I don't need you. I have love. True love. By the God who is love. If he can love Israel, and they didn't have Jesus yet, how much more are we to Christ? We are adopted into this love. God is saying, you are valuable to me. I paid a high price for you. I redeemed you. I rescued you. I brought you out of darkness and into my love. He's not going to then leave you in that fear and in that darkness. I love you. I see you. And I'm not going to leave you. I see you in your struggle. I see you in your pain. I see you in your darkness, Israel. And I'm not going to leave you there. I, I see how you are, but I'm not going to leave you as you are. I take you as you are, but I'm going to remake you and make you into something else. I've made you into someone who is precious to me, who is loved by me. Now, he wants to get their minds kind of straight on this. He says to them in verse 3, he goes, For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's who I am. Get your mind set on who I am. I gave Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Sabine, and in exchange for you. Now there's a lot happening in this passage I don't have time for today, but let me summarize this. God is saying, I did not have to choose you to be my people. There was nothing about you that made me look and go, hmm, I want some of that. Let me get some of that. Let me have some of you. I, 
You guys are awesome. Look at your resume. No. He's saying, look, but hey, hey, I had some better options here. Egypt, I mean, come on, powerhouse nation, awesome army, great military, have a trouble with floods coming down on them and some plagues. But they are really, I mean, look at their construction projects. I mean, they can get stuff built. He had options. Why did he not choose the great mighty nations, the great warrior nations of the Cush? Why? He chose slaves. He chose the muck and the mire. He chose the beaten and the broken and the poor. He chose the hurting and the discarded and those who felt lost to now be his. Because there's nothing else that displays the great glory of our Lord. Not by taking people who have great resumes and then using them, because we can all then look and go, well, there was something already awesome about them. But when he takes those who are slaves and go, there's nothing of value of them. And makes them as precious as gold. Wow. Then Israel doesn't get the glory, does it? Who gets the glory? God. I hate to burst your bubble about this, but we live in a nation that really likes to celebrate how awesome we are. And even when we don't do anything, we give participation trophies. Here you go. You're just alive and you're awesome and I'm going to make you feel awesome all the time. I am so tired of that. If my son ever is given a participation trophy, that thing's going in the garbage. You don't get celebrated for showing up. We live in a nation that's like, look at me, look how awesome I am. I'm going to take a lot of pictures of me and show it to everybody. As if, and then we're all going to sit around and go, like, oh, oh, so cute, oh, emojis, and here's a kitty, yay. And we're going we're gonna to sit here and celebrate nothingness. We live in a nation that needs to be shook. We live in a land that needs to be shook. We live as people who need to be shook. That there was nothing about you that God said, I need that person on my team. He says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. There's nothing else that can qualify. I'm the qualification. Does anybody measure up? No. I'm going to take the wretched. Those who are covered in sin, lost and broken... This is kind of gross. But imagine this. Imagine a mirror, and you take that mirror. And what's the purpose of a mirror? To give them a reflection, right? To let the person looking at it to see themselves. Now, you take that mirror, and you crack it. What happens? The image splits, but you can kind of still see somebody. Now, if I take that mirror, and I start using it as a shovel, what's going to happen? Cut my hands. It gets dirty. It gets covered. If I start using it as a, then turn around and use it as a baseball bat, what's going to happen? It's going to break. It's going to shatter. I'm using the mirror for what it's not meant for. Now I take it out and I see a horse has left a bunch of mess on the ground and I use it to scoop it up. Now it's covered in the mess of that horse. 
We could use other words. We get it. It's not going to smell good. It's not going to look good. It's going to be covered. It's going to be damaged. It's going to be broken. And then I go to look at myself. What will I see? The broken mess. Keep that in mind. God's not the mirror. We are. Keep that image in mind because this is where Isaiah is going to take them. I have redeemed you. I have brought you. I have exchanged your mess for my righteousness and put my righteousness upon you and taken your mess. This is an Old Testament teaching and a New Testament teaching. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul describes the work of Jesus Christ this way. He says, for our sake, he made him, that God made Jesus to be sin, that muck and mire broken mirror, who knew no sin. He took all the mess, all the brokenness, the missing chips, the crack, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have become something new. So the first command that we see God gives here in Isaiah is fear not. Don't let fear rule in you because I have redeemed you. I have made you into something else. I have purchased you at a great high price. You belong to me. You are my people. And I love you. The second argument why God's people should not be afraid is then seen in verse 5. He says, fear not for I am with you. I am with you. I place myself with you. I reside with you. Israel needs to hear this. You need to hear this. They're in the middle of discipline and judgment. But God is not going to abandon them. That means what he does in his discipline, if he is the God of love, is meant out of love. It's, discipline is an act of love to correct and to bring back and to heal. You are precious in my eyes, he says. I love you. Think about this. No matter how deep we probe into the motives of God, we will never arrive at a layer which is not full of his love. Everything God does is love. This text lures us in with his love. And we need to understand his love. And so when I keep looking at this text even more, in order for Israel to be God's chosen people of that era, and to be precious in God's sight, and to be loved by God, and to have, to have God dwell with them, he had to create them. He had to bring them into existence. I have three daughters and one son, and they are very precious to me. I love them all. But guess what? In 2002, when I was marrying Jennifer, they were not precious to me because they didn't exist. They weren't on my mind. They were not were in my thinking. There was no way in the Hades I was sitting around going, yeah, I want to have four kids all two years apart and be eternally broke. And hey, that's how I got a new haircut. And, and nothing about that 
something I said, I want to sign up for. But I wouldn't exchange it for anything. The reason they became precious to me is because they became, they, ex- they came into existence. So why did God bring into existence people whom he could regard as precious to him, loved by him? What was his motive in that? Come right back here to Isaiah 43. Verse 7, I think, gives us the answer. He says, everyone who is called by my name. That's who believers are. That's who Israel is, who's called by his name. Whom I created, why? For my glory. Whom I formed and made. God created a people for his glory. You want to know why you exist in this world? It's for his glory. You are to reflect who he is. We're to be that mirror. Genesis 1.26, we go all the way back to creation. and says, God says, let us make man in our image. That doesn't mean we become God. That means we are image bearers or image reflectors. We... The mirror carries the image. And when the mirror is broken, when the mirror is cracked, when the mirror has chunks out of it, when the mirror is covered in the, 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 just the warping of the sun and all the dirt that is on it, it has a very, very hard time reflecting back what the image is. And the farther the, the, the mirror is from the object, you can barely see it, what's being reflected. You might see everything else, but... What you should be seeing. That's who we are in our sin. That's who we were. Until he redeemed you. That's who you were until he redeemed you. Now you have a purpose. Now you can begin to reflect the glory of the Lord, the more you draw closer to the Lord, the larger he gets in you. The larger he gets to those who are looking at you. The more you draw closer to him, the better image of him we get. And who is the greatest image we are given? But Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the sole perfection of God's love to us. We're to draw close to him. And not run in fear for our sin. Fear keeps us from seeing the image of God. Even all the way back in creation. In Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Look what is recorded. About Adam and Eve and their fall and sin. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's what sin does. God among the, among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to man as he's calling to you. Where are you? Come into my presence. I want to be in your presence. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Many of us are afraid to let our cracks and our warping and our manure-stained lives of sin be brought before the Lord for him to look at us. We should be afraid. Our sin 
is an offense to him. But he says, come to me. I love you. I created you to reflect me. I created you for my love to be poured out on you. My joy to be poured out on you. My glory to be poured out on you. Come to me. Let me wash you. Let me cleanse you. Let me heal you. Let me bind your brokenness. Let me fix what sin has done unto you. So that you, in 2024, can begin to reflect me to this community. Your purpose is to reflect him. To be an image bearer, an image giver. This is what he told Adam and Eve in the beginning. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's what God's doing. He's using us to reflect his image. So we come back to Isaiah 43. And he, the prophet, is saying to them, fear not. Don't let fear rule in you. I have redeemed you. I have purchased you at a great price. And that price is the Son of God. There is nothing more valuable than Jesus. And he says, that's who paid for you. Fear not that because he now redeemed you, I can be with you. You ever see, especially with teenage girls, college girls, they see a friend they haven't seen in a little while, and what do they do? Yeah! And they're like, and guys are like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> What's up? You know, but it's like they, there's this joy that comes over some of them. They, they yeah! You know, you're like, yeah. But how does that make you feel when someone looks at you like, I am so excited to be near you. Oh, man, I've missed you. Oh, I, I want to be around you. Something kind of comes over you a little bit in that, doesn't it? Wow, you, you like being near me. It's not the simple, like, sometimes we may even do here at church, hey, nice to meet you, it's good to see you, I haven't thought of you all week, but I'm glad to see you again. You know, no. When God says, I want to be near you, it's not, I just want to see you for an hour on Sunday. It's, I want to wake up and be the first thing that's on your mind. I want to smell your coffee breath. I want to be close to you. I want to be around you. I want to spend every moment with you. I, I want to be the greatest thing in your life, and I want to reflect my love and my joy on you. I want to get as close to you and intimate with you and connected with you. And you couldn't even imagine how much I'm excited to have you bear my image. I want that for you, he says. That's what he's saying to Israel. Hey, I'm going to take you through some hard stuff because you need to see how crooked and broken you are so that you will cry out, redeem me, fix me, heal me, so I can have the great joy of your presence in my life. So I can have the great joy of you being poured out in my life. That means every aspect of your life is designed to reflect God. Your marriage is created to reflect the image of God. Being a parent, ha 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 ha, we get to reflect the image of God there. 
And there are many times like, eh, I don't really want to right now. Your job, your health, the gym, what you do on TV and on the internet to reflect the glory of the Lord. All that you do. He says, I want to be with you. I want to work with you. And when you live to be about my glory, you will make more people who want to be about my glory because my glory is awesome. Why is the church shrinking in America? Because the church is more like Israel instead of the bride of Christ. They're more like the, the, the rebelling nation than we are about the intimate bride of Jesus who wants to wake up every morning and be connected to their, their Savior. So when the world looks at us, they see themselves. They don't see the redeeming work. They don't see the healing work. They don't see the, 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 the testimony of Jesus saying, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once broken, but now I'm healed. I was once an addict, but now I'm set free. I was once alone, but now I'm fully loved and found by God. Church family, in 2024, this needs to be our passion. Where I'm going to be trying to teach us and lead us and be transparent and work, hey, I got cracks in my mirror. It's for us to start saying, hey, God doesn't want to put masking tape or, or some kind of tape over our cracks. No, he wants to heal them so that we reflect who he is. So we got to know more of who he is. We got to draw closer to who he is. We got to say, hey, here is my dirt and my muck and my mire and all that I've been stepping in. Take it. Remake it. Because you are worthy. That's my challenge for you. It's not a resolution. It's a calling. It's a purpose. And when that purpose of why God created you becomes your purpose for getting up every day, you will find joy. You will find peace. You will find pleasure like you've never seen. This and passages like this have radically rocked my world. Radically changed me that my God views me this way. Yeah. Might have to get disciplined a little. But this discipline turns into discipleship. The two go hand in hand. So God is discipling Israel. And he wants to disciple you this year. So church family, this is my prayer for you. Lord, help me to have eyes to see where I need to know you more. Lord, help me to see where I need to let go of false loves in my life. Lord, help me to walk and to live in your forgiveness and your grace. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation so that I might spread that joy in the lives of my family, in my neighborhood, in our schools, in our workplace. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word.
I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your grace. Your unearned favor upon us. Who are we to call ourselves the people of God? You call us your people. You call us unto you. We are greatly and richly blessed by you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. So Lord, as we sing this song, may they not be words that we just echo. May they be the overflow of our hearts. May our worship of you not end when we say amen, but may amen, let it be so be true. May we walk in you and proclaim you and bend our knee to you and repent from sin and come to you and watch you do what you do as our Redeemer. May we know you richly, Heavenly Father. Lord, may this church be dedicated to you this year. So I pray over every marriage, whether they are newly married, whether they've been married for, seems like, centuries. May their marriage reflect your glory. Heal their brokenness. Heal their sin. Walk in their marriage. Lord, be with our, our, our family here who are, are single. May they rejoice in their singleness. May they not wish for what they don't have, but rejoice in what they do have, who is you. May they live as Paul did for you, fully dedicated to you. And may you bless them in that. Be with our youth. Guide our children. Be with us in our workplace that we may glorify you, God. We ask and we pray this in all of God's people's said, Amen. Let us stand and worship our Lord.